let's continue our sermon series on walking through the epistles. So for the last few weeks, we've um, been studying specifically from the book of Galatians. And last week, we saw Paul returning to Jerusalem with an intention of getting the approval of the gospel that he was presenting in different parts of Asia Minor. So let's do a quick recap of what we did last week before we get into today's sermon. So after three years of ministry, Paul went to Jerusalem to visit Peter. So I don't have much you know, going on in the slides today, but I want you to listen to me. Look at me and listen. So Paul was returning to Jerusalem to visit Peter after three years of his ministry in Asia Minor. And he came to meet Peter just to have a friendly time with him, just to update each other on what was going on during the last year in their ministry. And I believe Paul went and worked and Peter would have worked in Jerusalem and Judea and around those places. And they want to update each other on what God is doing through them. You know, we talked about and talked good amount of, you know, getting God got a good amount of information last week and to understand the two contrasting characteristics coming together in union, having fellowship with one another. One was a persecutor and the other one was persecuted by him. And two of them coming together in agreement, in understanding and having a good time of friendship with each other. And Paul went on a mission to Syria and Cilicia as he was establishing churches in those parts of Asia Minor. And he came to the church in Judea. And what was Paul missing? Paul was really missing the fellowship that we have today. He was not having it for the last three years. And he came to the church in Judea and he appeared in front of them and he was having fellowship as he used to have. He used to have with those churches. Then after 14 long years, again he is coming back to Jerusalem. And this time Paul came to Jerusalem with an idea of getting his gospel approved by the leadership. And Paul did the right thing because... He realized that it is, it is good, it is important, it is appropriate to come to the leadership and to discuss what is happening in his life in other part of the globe, you know, in order to be in agreement so that in all the effort that he is spending it will not go in vain. And we talked about, you know, it is important to work together with the leadership in coming in agreement with the leadership of any organization or any church for that matter. Then we talked about the false teachers they entered and the false teachers came in and you know they were trying to take the people of God out of the freedom that Christ brought them and they were trying to do that and Paul said very clearly we were not staying even for a single moment we just flew from that place because we want to protect the truth that we have within us we don't want to listen to the false teachings we don't want to listen to the false gospel we know what is truth and we want to protect the truth within us and today let's continue from Galatians chapter 2 so I'm going to basically expound the scriptures, giving you details and explaining the scriptures that was read by Sandra. The main discussion of today's sermon is about Peter's hypocrisy and Paul's rebuke. So let's, let today's title be that, Peter's hypocrisy. Can you read that with me? Peter's hypocrisy and Paul's rebuke. So I would like to tie, outline my sermon, you know, before we go in detail into it. First of all, we want to talk about a couple of things this morning, and this is how the sermon is outlined. We are going to talk about the apostles accepting Paul as an apostle. And we are going to talk about Peter's hypocrisy 
and Paul's rebuke, Paul's response to that. And then, and then we are going to talk about the three things about the law that we must know. The inability of the law to justify and the inability of the law to give life and the inability of the law to make us righteous. And then finally we will conclude the sermon with a couple of concluding thoughts. But before we go there, you remember Paul is in Jerusalem right now. And you know there is a discussion that is going on in chapter 2. Last chapter, last time when we read, last week, we talked about Paul getting approval for the gospel that he was preaching. But today, he has a mandate that his apostleship need to be accepted by the apostles, Peter, John, and James. You know, they are the original apostles. Paul had never got an opportunity to come together with them in face to face and make sure that he is, an, he is also an apostle. You remember, Paul was called by God. Paul had a miraculous encounter and that made him as an apostle for the Gentiles and he went on preaching the gospel. He never got an, had an opportunity to come together in agreement with the leadership of the church at that time. And today we'll talk about how the leadership is accepting Paul's apostleship. So let's read quickly again Galatians 6 to 10 you know how many times you read the scriptures you know there are new thoughts coming out of this so let, let's read Galatians 2 6 to 10 but from those who seem to be something he's referring Paul is referring to the apostles you know they are there seem to be something there seem to be somebody different but from those who seem to be something whatever they were it makes no difference to me God shows personal God shows personal favoritism to no man for those who seem to be something added nothing to me verse 7 but on the contrary when they saw that the gospel for the uncircumcised had been committed to me as the gospel for the circumcised was to peter verse 8 for he who worked effectively in peter for the apostleship to the circumcised also worked effectively in me toward the gentile verse 9 and when james cephas and john who seemed to be the pillars perceived the grace that had been given to paul they gave paul and barnabas the right hand of fellowship that we should go to the gentile and they to the circumcised they decided only that we should remember the poor the very thing which I also was eager to do so we are talking about apostles accepting Paul's apostleship Paul says the world gave a greater importance much greater importance or much greater regard to the apostles and he says but when I went to them I did not find anything special into them. Listen to me. There's a message here this morning for us. I did not find anything special in them. They made me no difference. They made no difference to me. In fact, they could not even add anything to what I know I knew already. Now, Paul is not trying to disrespect the apostles. Paul is saying they are just like me. I did not find anything different in their lives. But what is different is their responsibilities are different. That's all I could see. They could not even add anything to what I know. They are just like me. They, I could not find any difference. And what are the responsibilities? Paul says, I am called to be an apostle among the Gentiles. But they are called to be an apostle among the circumcised or Jews. Are you okay? I am called to preach the gospel among the Gentiles, 
but those apostles they are called to preach the gospel among the Jews but you know eventually they could accept Paul as an apostle of the Gentiles and he says they gave me right fellowship they considered me they did not reject me you know sometimes it becomes very hard even in the spiritual sense if you want to really go and meet the bishop it's not easy are you okay with me if you want to go and meet somebody who is in higher authority in the leadership in an organization it's not that easy and you can imagine paul and sorry peter and james and john you know they are the church leaders and what is the strength of their church at that moment how many members in their church Thousand? Thousands of people. Any clue how many Bible says in the book of Acts? Three thousand and then? Five thousand. So that makes it eight thousand and then? Okay, more thousands, right? So more thousands get added. So there may be 10,000 or, you know, 20,000, 30,000 people. And you can imagine Paul, Peter and, you know, and John and James, they are in the leadership of the church. It's not easy for anybody to go and approach them. And Paul got an opportunity to go and talk to them directly. And Paul says, all that I could see in their lives is, they have a difference of responsibility. I have a different responsibility that's all about it about the leadership there is nothing greater whoever it may be it may be the bishop it may be the leader of any organization only one difference between them and us is they have a different responsibility we have a different responsibility that is the truth nothing else that is the fact that nothing else even though paul and peter had difference of opinion listen to this even though they had two different, you know, uh, two different approach for the same gospel. One is preaching among the Gentiles, non-Jews, and one is preaching among the Jews. They have just two different responsibilities. Even though they have difference of opinion in terms of the gospel they preach and the region where they work, but they could come together in the name of the Lord. They could accept each other and they could support each other. You know, that's how the leadership of an organization must be. The message is, we are all equal in Christ. Can you say that with me? We are all equal in Christ. One is not greater than the other. One ministry is not greater than the other. One church is not greater than the other church. Being with Christ, having a first hand of experience, and seeing all the miracles that Son of Man did with their own eyes, those things did not make them special at all. That's what Paul says. I thought they are some great people. But when I went, they are just still an ordinary fisherman. The way they talk, that's how they talk. They still smell fish, even though it is three and a half years. <laughs> they still smell fish. That's how the leaderships are. Leadership is. We are all equal in Christ. One is not greater than the other. What is different? We differ in terms of our responsibilities. We differ in terms of our abilities and skills. The call of God may be different in our lives. That's all. But one is not greater than the other. We are all equal in Christ. Can I hear an amen from you? Are you not excited to listen to that? Are you not happy to listen to that? 
Hello? Are you okay? Can I hear an amen out loud? Please help me here. Help me here. Amen? Amen. Amen. Just keep some amen. Throw some amen in the air this morning. Amen. amen. Great. Paul's equality with Peter and the other apostles is very well demonstrated in the scriptures as we read. And Peter's respect to Paul as a fellow servant of God is so evident. So we're talking about two things. The equality that we see among the leadership and also the respect and the support they provide for each other. You know, those things are very important in the Christian circle that is missing today. While Paul and Peter had different focus in their respective ministries and their respective areas, they serve the same God. They preach the same gospel. One was not superior than the other, but they differ in terms of their responsibilities. You know, this morning, God wants us to open our eyes so that we may realize what is currently going on in the spiritual realm. Paul said, I did not find anything special in them. I'll tell you something this morning. You know, whomever you may consider as a man of God, as a man of authority, and a man of you know, great power and honor, go and touch them and see they are not different than you. They have the same struggle that what you go through. They have the same personal life, the secret life that you have. They have. They are not different. But the way God used them is maybe different. They may have a different responsibility. They may have all together. They may have a different skill set. The call of God may be different in their lives. That doesn't make them feel superior. If somebody is projecting as if they are superior, that's not true. That's not true. Now Peter is visiting to Antioch. Antioch is somewhere near Jerusalem. It's not very far. Let's read that from Galatians chapter 2. Let's move further. Galatians chapter 2 verses 11 through 13. Now when Peter had come to Antioch, remember this, Peter had come to wherever he was ministering. From there he came to Antioch. I withstood him, Paul says, I withstood him face to face because he was to be blamed. Verse 12, for before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles, but when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him, so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. But Paul is changing his tone now. Paul says, I met Peter. I met Peter on another occasion. They could accept my apostleship. And they understood, they, he treated me equally, and he gave me enough respect, and I respected him, we understood each other, it's all good. But now when I met Peter in Antioch, I stood against him face to face, and I have to say something there. You know, remember in Acts chapter 10, now before we go there, you know, Peter was visiting the Gentile churches. And as he was ministering in the Gentile churches, you know, remember Peter also was ministering not just only for Jews. He was also ministering to the Gentiles. And as he was ministering in the Gentile churches, he used to eat with those who are not circumcised. Are you with me? Those who are not following the law, those who are not, maybe they are followers of Jesus Christ, or even some of them are still following the ungodly things, still following the gods and goddesses in that time. Paul, Peter used to sit and eat with them. But when some Jewish Christians came from Jerusalem, 
Peter stopped eating with the Gentiles. And he, when separated himself, he withdrew himself from the Gentiles and he went and sat with the Jews and started eating. It looks like a very simple matter. But Paul is making a big deal out of it here, as we see. Remember in Acts chapter 2, Peter was warned by a vision by God saying not to consider anything unclean what God has already, already cleansed. Do you remember? In Acts chapter 10 we read that. God gave a special vision to Peter. Now I was thinking why? I did not understand why that vision was given to Peter. So let's read a couple of scriptures now from Acts chapter 10 verses 12 to 15. In it, that means in the large sheet, if you remember the story, I can't go back right now. So if you remember the short story, there was a large sheep, sheet dropped by its four corners from heaven. That's, the, that's what the word of God is talking about. In it, in that last sheet, large sheet, sorry, where all kinds of animals, where all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, read that with me, wild bees, creeping things, birds of the air and a voice came to him read rise peter kill and eat <clears throat> go ahead go ahead please read what god has cleansed you must not call common or unclean you know, God gave him a vision and he put all the steps, all the moving steps on the sheet and showed him, look at all these things, all four-footed animals, you know, all the birds of the air, all the creep, uh, creeping things and all the wild beasts, they were all in that sheet. And what God said? Eat, right? And eat. And Peter did not feel good about it. If God would have said that to us, maybe, you know, we just, some of us really eat anything that is moving, right? So, 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 you know, we would have just jumped into the sheet. But then, you know, Peter said, Lord, I won't touch any of this. I won't touch any of this. They are all unclean. And God rebuked him, saying, rebuked him, saying that, how can you say that it is unclean? Because I already cleansed them. I cleanse those things, then how can you say they are unclean? Peter understood this vision and he accepted the call of God to work among the Gentiles. You know, all the ugly things that are showing there in the sheet, they represent non-Jews, the Gentiles, different kinds of people, like including us. Right? And God spoke to him very clearly. But now in this occasion, Peter really failed to exercise what God entrusted in him. The simple thing is Peter did not eat. When the Jewish came, Jewish people came from Jerusalem, he was so afraid that he did not want to sit with the Gentiles and he withdrew from the Gentiles and God could not handle it. Peter was afraid of Jews, those who circumcised. And also Peter would have done that basically to get their acceptance. You know, otherwise they are going to question him. So he would have done that, you know, basically to get their acceptance. Not only that, you know, Peter's behavior corrupted all those who followed Peter, including Barnabas. He's supposed to go with Paul and he will work with Paul. But when he came there, when he saw this, they all just kept away from the Gentiles. And we see a group of Gentiles standing there and nobody's going and eating with them. They, they just feel all alone. They just feel left out. And this act was noticed by Paul. 
And this was noticed by Paul when he was in, in Antioch at that time. You know, this tells us something this morning before we move further. Even the men of great honor, even the men, those who are at high responsibility and high authority, they show such a weakness or inconstancy, even, you know, at that moment, you know, faltering from their responsibilities, what they have towards God. Peter, not supposed to do that. How can he neglect the Gentiles? And he also set a bad example that, you know, people who followed, when the leader does something evil, something bad, you know, what will happen? The followers also will go along with them. So here we see Peter, who is such a, having such a great responsibility, he is setting a bad example for the men and women. And, you know, this example deeply influenced all the men. And they also went along with Peter, neglecting the Gentiles. Paul called them as hypocrite. Face to face, Paul was not hesitating. He called them as, you are hypocrite. You know, I believe just today, if God looks at our churches, I want you to reflect those thoughts over our lives and our churches. If God, if Paul may be here and he is looking at our churches, will he call us hypocrites? You know, sometimes there are times that we tend to withdraw from people, those who do not look like us. Listen to me carefully. You know, there cannot be a Jew and Gentile at that moment. Do you remember Christ came and he broke the wall of separation? Amen? And there cannot be a Jew and Gentile. Those who carry the word of God, those who look at the cross for their salvation, there cannot be a Jew and Gentile. You know, there cannot be an Indian Christ, there cannot be an African Christ, there cannot be different Christs. There is one, there is only one Christ. There cannot be a black Christ, there cannot be a white Christ. There is only one Christ. And how come Peter could do this? What I could understand is multiculturalism was in the heart of God. When Peter was you know, so aggressively, so openly rebuking the hypocrisy of Peter, when Paul was rebuking that, what I understood is the multiculturalism that was in the heart of God. So what we learn from is we are not supposed to separate people and make groups based on their race and color and their language. That's not the will of God. Are you with me? Amen. Especially when we are living in such a nation. The moment you come out of your nation and when we come to this nation, there is no separation. There is no way we can you know, make a group of people, those who belong to ourselves. That's not the plan of God. Listen to me carefully. You know, don't think that you know, God has brought us to the, this nation to build an Indian church or an African church. No. God has brought us to this nation to build a church. Can I hear an amen? We need everybody. He brought us to this nation just to build a church of all color. Amen? You know, that is the heart of God. You know, God is well pleased. When God showed the vision to Peter, all kinds of animals... Some of those animals he won't even touch. But God said, I made them clean. You know, some of the people group in this nation today, maybe not in this nation, different parts of the globe, their eating habits we may not like. Their smell we may not like. But God is saying, I already made them clean. Amen? You know, that is something that we need to get into our hearts. This is, you know, this is important because God is the God of multiculturalism. 
This is how I would interpret the vision that Peter had on that day. In that sheet, Peter found people of all nations under the heaven. Amen? All the people, those who have a soul like you have. All the people, you have, you, have a, you, have, you have something that is under the skin, what you have. They have the same thing. They are so precious in the sight of God. And God said, you know, that's a, that makes a huge difference when Jesus came to this world. That's what he taught us. Before that, it was not so. So much of separation, so much of violence, and so much of killing. But Jesus came and broke the wall. Today, the world is still trying to build the wall. But church, how can we build the wall? Rejecting people, neglecting people. Verse 14, but when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel. One group being neglected, the other group giving high priority is not straightforward according to the truth of the gospel. I said to Peter before them all, Paul is rebuking Peter in front of everybody, not a private rebuke. I said to Peter before them all, if you being a Jew, living in the manner of the Gentiles, and <clears throat> not as a Jew, as and not as the Jews, why do you compel Gentile to live as Jews? Now we should really appreciate the courage of Peter here. Sorry, Paul here. Paul has a great courage to rebuke Peter face to face in front of others. Let's talk a little bit about Paul's rebuke. Paul's rebuke to Peter was, ever since you had that vision at the house of Cornelius, you started mingling with the Gentiles and started eating with them. You obeyed the call of God. You obeyed the vision of God. Now, if you are, now because you are afraid of some of the Jews, you neglected the call of God that was in your life. You simply neglected your gentle believe, Gentile believers and you just came along with the Jewish believers. Now because you set a bad example of withdrawing and separating yourselves from the Gentiles, you are also compelling the Gentile believers to get circumcised. Now everybody, all the Gentile believers believe that Peter is taking a separation from them. Now there is something that comes into their mind. They may think that, oh, probably because I am not circumcised, that's the reason I am neglected. And you know, you are putting wrong seed. You are throwing, sending wrong signals into the mind of the un, uh, uncircumcised. Once you yourself consider those rituals are not going to help. Those laws are not going to help. You rejected those laws. But how can you get back? How can you drag all the people along with them, along with you, back into those laws? Are you with me? You know, that was the question that Paul was rebuking. With, with, with that rebuke, that, with that tone, Paul is rebuking Peter here. Verse 15, let's read verse 15. We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles. That simply means Gentiles were known as sinners. Only Jews are holy. We who are Jews by nature... Paul is telling, talking to Peter and all the apostles, and not sinners of the Gentiles. Verse 16, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. 
for by the works of the law no flesh shall be justified verse 17 but if while we seek to be justified by christ we ourselves also are found sinners is christ therefore a minister of sin certainly not for if i build again those things which i destroyed i make myself a transgressor i'll help you this morning in this to understand the scripture portion let's give a subtitle here inability of the law to justify can you say that with me inability of the law to justify justification is a legal term listen to me justification is nothing but declaring someone as just or free of guilt that is what is justification in a legal system when somebody is coming in the in the court and the judge declares and says that you know he is totally guilt-free justice is given that is what is known as justification so new testament teaches justification of sinners not by observing the law but by having faith in lord jesus christ on what on the atoning work that jesus performed at the cross that's where one can be justified that's where anyone can be set free from all the sins and free from all the guilt listen to this law is condemning in nature law always tells us you are not right you are not right you are not right you are not following this you are not following that law always condemns law always point fingers to us law is not capable of making anybody righteous before god are you with me law cannot just make you righteous you know this is the difference that jesus brought when he came into this world until then what was believed following all the old testament law will make somebody qualified someone guilt-free but jesus came and told do not follow all the laws laws alone cannot really help you to make you justified law demands us to work hard remember that listen to me law demands us to work hard you know if you have to observe certain law if you have to follow certain laws you need to work hard to meet the expectation of the law law cannot really work justify us because it is very hard to follow the law by the work of the law no flesh can be justified so these are the scriptures what does it mean by following all the 600 odd law nobody will qualify it's very hard if you try to follow one law you will break other another law if you try to turn this side that will be missed that will be wrong and you try to turn that other side and there will be another something law that will be governing so you cannot really justify it by following the law ephesians 2 8 there's a beautiful scripture bible says for by grace can you read that with me for by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves it is the gift of god how do you get saved how do you get to know that my sins are forgiven i am a child of god how do you know not by following the law but by grace through faith on christ jesus you know that is the message now the question is there is a couple of scriptures you know they are trying to they're a little difficult i'll help you here the question is does that mean that grace leaves room for sin okay law says you need to follow all the law we tried all our best to follow those law but now grace brings freedom isn't it grace brings freedom and we when we have enough freedom we tend to sin when we have freedom we tend to sin right are you with me right all the all the men will know when wife is not around we tend to sin they are not saying and wives know when husband is on tour 
They can <laughs> circle around Halifax, right? Freely, freedom. And the freedom can bring you, make you sin. That is the question now. Grace, does grace give room for us to sin? If we sin while we seek to be justified by faith, will that sin be okay for God? Listen to this carefully. Sometimes, you know, we also found those believers also, they were finding guilty within themselves because they are not following the law. Are you with me? This is a little tricky here. They find guilty within themselves because they have been following the law strictly, but now Jesus came and told, don't follow the law. You are justified by faith. Follow me. You don't need to observe all those things, which the rituals, you don't need to do all the rituals. Some of them came following, started following Jesus Christ, but inside of them, they still feel guilty. So the question is, by following grace, are you not making yourself guilty? Are you not sinning? Whether grace is not giving the freedom to sin? And the question they are asking is, Paul is saying here is, does it mean that Christ is leading us to sin? By saying that he brought grace to all of us? By giving freedom to all of us? Is it a minister? Is he a minister of sin? Is he giving an opportunity for a sin? And Paul says again, give the answer, no. And he says, listen to this, we don't become sinners by not following the law, but we become sinners if we rebuild the whole system of law once we destroyed. Are you with me? Once we neglected those laws, he's talking to Peter, remember that. Peter, you are a sinner. That's what Paul is saying. You know, what a courage that Paul would have had at that moment. He is saying that once you rejected all your rituals, you said that circumcision is not important. Gentiles are accepted in the presence of God as Jews are accepted. But now you are keeping away from the Gentiles and going along with the Jews. That is sinful. That is sinful. You know, listen to this. I'll just give a little illustration, known illustration. A woman was found in adultery, brought before Lord Jesus Christ. You remember the story. Jesus said to the crowd, he who has no sin, throw a stone at her first. And he bent down, he stooped down and he wrote something on the ground. And when he lifted up his head, no one was found. Only the woman was standing. Imagine that situation and the difficulty and the complexity and the depth of that moment. And Jesus said, even I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. Forgiven. So easy. One falling into adultery, coming to Jesus, and the forgiveness is instant. What does the law say? Law says, she need to be stoned and killed. But what Jesus said? Go, sin no more. Law says, punishment, sinners deserve punishment. But Jesus says, you are set free. Your sins are forgiven. But don't sin anymore. So law has no room to declare someone guilt-free. If you obey the law, everybody needs to be killed. Nobody can survive. So law has no room to declare someone is guilt-free. So that's what we are talking about, the inability of the law to justify. Amen? The inability of the law to justify. So we talked about the inability of the law to justify somebody. 
Justification is found when someone has faith in Lord Jesus Christ. The atoning work of Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 19. For I through the law died to the law that I might live to God. Paul says, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the faith and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I mean, this is not just Paul. You know, this is all the New Testament believers are supposed to say this. We are supposed to declare this. You know, that's how we live. That, that's our belief. That's what we, we, we believe. That's our faith is. Secondly, we talk about the inability of the law to give life. Can you say that with me? The inability of the law to give life. Just bear with me a few more minutes. Paul says, I tried the law my level best. Every time when I tried, I failed. The law could not help me. The law demands so much perfect obedience in me, but I could not provide that. And whenever I fail, it condemns me. It could not give me any life. It is putting me down. I always found myself as condemned and dead in my sins. The law is not capable of giving me life. I don't find life by following law. That's what exactly he says. In fact, he says the law caused me to end my life under this law. And that's, what, that's where I decided I died to the law and I identify myself along with Christ to be crucified with Christ. And he says, it is no longer I live, but it is Christ Jesus who lives in me. And he says, the life that I have in the flesh is the life of faith in Son of God. So law is not capable of giving life. Law is incapable of giving justification. Law is incapable of giving life. One more thing we see and close. Verse 21. I do not set aside the grace of God. Can you read that? If righteousness comes through the law, Christ died in vain. Just want to you know, give you a little thought. So finally, we talked about the inability of the law to produce righteousness. What is righteousness? It is being right with God in our attitude, in our attributes, in our behavior, in everything that we do, in our words, in our thoughts, being right with God. That is what is righteousness means. For if righteousness comes through the law, if law can make you such a good person on the face of this earth, why should Christ die? Law could have handled it. Because law failed, that's the reason Jesus came to this world. You know, that's the message we get here. Finally, Paul says, I will not frustrate, I will not, or I will not keep aside, or I will not neglect, or I will not make wide the grace of God. If righteousness can come through the law, Christ died, died in vain. If God expected perfection come through the law, Christ dying on the cross is a waste. And he's asking, why did the Old Testament and the New Old Testament prophets foretold about the coming of the Messiah and the redemptive work that Jesus will come and perform? Why did they say? Because they all knew that the law is imperfect. What law cannot do? Jesus came. And did. 
In fact, Bible says the law ended when Christ was revealed. Romans chapter 10 verse 4, Bible says, can you read that with me? For Christ is the end of the law. He put an end to the law. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. And God's righteousness comes through faith, not by law. Romans chapter 3 verses 21 and 22. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed. Until now, the righteousness of God was in the law or by the law. Now, righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed. Being witnessed by the law by Moses and the prophets. Even they witnessed the coming of the Messiah. That he will bring righteousness which is apart from the law. He will bring the righteousness to the world. It was even foreseen by Moses and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe for there is no difference what an English amen he says the righteousness of God came through Jesus Christ even Moses foresaw that all the prophets prophesied the righteousness of God is going to come through Lord Jesus Christ because the law is not capable of making someone righteous for there is no difference means there is no partiality either Jew or Gentile God's righteousness is given lavishly to all the people of this nation all the people of this world so eventually we conclude law is incapable of producing righteousness amen so we talked about many things this morning law is not capable of justifying someone law is in totally incapable of bringing life law is totally incapable of you know making someone righteous some of the concluding thoughts i have them on screen so that i will not miss them we read them and we close can we all stand as we read first thought we may differ in our right responsibilities this is the takeaway from this message this morning we may differ in our responsibilities you can read that with me our abilities and skills may be different the call of God may be different in our lives, but one is not greater than the other. This is applicable to church. This is applicable to every people under the heaven who are part of the kingdom of God. We are all equal in Christ. Amen. The second thought that we take away, we must be willing to accept and include all kind of people what God has already cleansed. We must not call unclean. Amen. One more, be courageous like Paul to make corrections and be submissive as Peter to accept corrections. You know, nowhere we came. Peter could have just, you know, <clears throat> told Paul, you know, you just get away because you are not the original apostle. We had the first hand information about Jesus. We saw Jesus. We touched Jesus. We know, we know who Jesus is. How come you know? You saw some vision, just get away. Peter would have said, but he did not say that. He was submissive. But Paul was courageous and Peter was submissive. Yeah. Go ahead. Grace does not make room for us to live in sin. Grace does not make us guilty of not following the law. We are made guilty and sinful if we rebuild those law once we rejected. I want you to think about you know, some of those rituals and the legalistic things the church is still following. Some of our traditional churches. That's wrong. That's sinful. Not man-made. Sorry, not God-made, not it's all man-made. Traditionally, you know, we keep following those things. And God, Christ came to give us freedom from all those laws. That doesn't mean that, you know, we don't follow any rule, we just go and sin. No, 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 that's not the thing. 
We just still obey those rules. We still obey, you know, those things which need to be obeyed, which are God made. But ultimately, our justification, our sanctification, our perfection, our righteousness, our life come from the work that Jesus performed at the cross. Law says you can be justified and made righteous by works. But grace says you can be justified and made righteous by having faith in Jesus Christ. You know, that's the reason till yesterday he was a murderer. And today he's able to take the microphone and share the message of the gospel. The legal system doesn't accept him as a child of God, as a good person. But Jesus accepts because the righteousness comes by having faith in Jesus Christ and the work that Jesus performed at the cross. Finally, law leads to death, but faith in Christ leads to life. So these are the good thoughts that we take away as we leave from this place. Shall we all close our eyes?